Hey gang, welcome to another episode of Value Added, the real estate podcast. On this week's episode, we're chatting with Jonathan Barr. Jonathan is the founder of JB2 Investments, a Los Angeles-based multifamily investment firm. Jonathan started his career a little over a decade ago during the Great Recession when he and his family were flipping single-family homes in Los Angeles County. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Value Added, the real estate podcast where we speak with the brightest minds in the world of real estate who provide, create, and realize value in an ever-changing market. And now your host, Nick Walters. Well, good to have you on, man. Um, it's been yeah. a little while since we chatted on the phone. I think it was sometime this summer. Um, how's how the last few months been for you? You've been very active in the market. Uh, fill me in on what's going on in your world. Um, yeah, so we just bought this 72 unit behind me um, in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I saw that. Congrats. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, and we're actually going to go next week to Oklahoma City and we're looking at another asset close to this one that's double the size. So that's pretty exciting. Double the size and price. So double the raise as well. <laughs> yeah, um, well, so. that's what that's what you get when you start transacting. You start getting that uh, that reputation that you're able to take deals down. So unfortunately, you're probably going to be underwriting a lot of deals in Oklahoma City for the uh, foreseeable future, huh? Yeah. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, that's, that's where we all want to be. Right. But yeah, the second you get that first deal, the next one seems to come that much quicker. And then you connect with more brokers and more people on the ground and your neighbors and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm, I'm also in talks right now. I'm hopefully going to meet with my neighbor that owns a 48 unit next to ours and a 16 unit across the street. So we could run it as one. So that's, that's kind of like our economies of scale. So we could probably offer them a little bit more to entice them a little bit just to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to make it up on the, the efficiency, uh, the management yeah. efficiencies, right? Yeah, we can get probably have one, one less person if we were operating them separately. But let's jump into your, your remote investing. So you're, uh, you're Southern California based, but your, your investments primarily are, are in the Midwest. I know you've done a lot of business in Kansas city, uh, now Oklahoma city. So where, yeah, fill us in on, um, fill us in on the, your, your ability to invest in other markets other than your home market. Um, so yeah, I'm in, I'm in LA and it's, there's, there's two reasons why I'm not investing here. Mainly obviously the returns and then the other thing is rent control. And so the, the laws are definitely on the tenant side. And if you get stuck with a shitty tenant, you can't get rid of them unless you want to pay them 50 to a hundred thousand dollars for them to leave. And I think you get that too. And being in New York, right. It's even worse in New York from, from what you were telling me. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging. Um, yeah. and, and especially it's even more challenging when they pass the tenant landlord and the tenant protection act of, June of 2019. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, I have a lot of buddies of mine who were value add multifamily investors in, in the five boroughs and, uh, yeah. and they, they had, they, their business plan is, is essentially non-existent because they're, they're unable to put the necessary 
capital expenditures into an asset to then uh, fix it and uh, and lease the units to a level that uh, you know to to fair market value. So unfortunately, that's yeah. Uh, their it's inability to control. do that. Right. Sorry, vacancy control. This is what? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So we have and with, that's on the vote right now in California. Rock. Uh, prop 21. So I know a couple syndicators in LA, they're like, yeah, my if that passes my, my business in LA is done, I'm going to have to go out of state as well. So yeah. that that's a big reason right there. Um, and so I bought my first multifamily in Kansas city. It's a, a 14 unit. It was more turnkey and it was kind of there to uh, kind of prove the concept that I can go out of state and do this successfully. And that asset's been doing well. It's performing probably 10 to 15% better than I thought. Um, and then we moved to Oklahoma City because we couldn't find anything in the 50 plus range in the Kansas City area. So we kind of just brought in our scope a little bit, a few hundred miles from Kansas City and we landed there. We liked the fundamentals. We were able to connect with a property manager there that's also an owner operator. And that's kind of the benefit that we have on this complex that we just bought because they have two complexes nearby. So we can kind of share resources, people, leasing people, that kind of stuff, and only run the asset with a maintenance person and a property manager. So we're able to cut down expenses by about 25% across the board than what the seller was previously running it at. That's great. And that 25% yeah. reduction in expenses, was that, uh, was that more than you anticipated? No, um, that's what we're anticipating. I mean, it's only been the first couple of months, so we'll have to see how it actually performs. Um, but that's uh, payroll. Some they are they're paying some crazy marketing costs. I think they're spending like fifty to sixty grand a year, which is insane for a seventy-unit asset. It, we only need like apartments.com, which is three hundred dollars a month. So we're <laughs> reducing that incredibly insurance and then they had a bunch of turns. So we're going to reduce that as well. That's great. So yep. take us back to, uh, you know, before you got into multifamily investing, uh, what did tell the listeners a little bit about your background and, and how you yep. got to this point today? So I grew up in a real estate family. My, my parents have been doing flips and that kind of thing since, since I was a kid. So, I mean, I've been showing houses, I've been, in real estate, my, my daycare was basically their real estate office, you know? Um, and so I graduated high uh, sorry, college in 2008 during the last recession, couldn't find a job. My mom was said, come work for us. I was pretty reluctant because, you know, you don't want to work for your parents. You want to be independent, do your own thing, you know, but I was kind of broke and needed to do something. So went there, was like a real estate agent for a little bit, working with buyers and that kind of thing. Didn't really like that. And then we started going to the foreclosure auctions. And so I was going and physically bidding on properties, looking at properties, valuing them, doing title. I was doing, I was staying up till midnight every night, valuing properties and then getting, getting up at six in the morning. So I could look at the properties before going to the auction and then going to the auction by eight or nine in the morning, which was an hour away from where our office was. So I put lots of miles on my car and broke into houses and got into houses and did crazy things I probably wouldn't do today when I was in my early twenties. Um, and so we did that, uh, got into- And this was, uh, give us the timeline again. Is this, is this uh, during the, the great recession? Yeah, this is like 
right after kind of when we're hitting bottom, like 2009, 10, 11, where we're buying properties at like 50 cents at the dollar pretty much. And we were also buying in very specific areas of LA that we knew really well. And that's when kind of like those trendy flips are starting to get kind of big. And so we were seeing that if we did a certain kind of rehab on the property, we can get like 20% more. So we were able to offer 20% more at the auction and usually bid out all our competition. And usually they knew not to bid against us or they knew to like back off once we got to like a, a top, top level. And so, so what was your, what was your value add play to in your business plan? How were you able to, to bid 20% more, but still, to, to still reap the, you know, healthy returns? We were just, you know, doing, opening up the kitchens, doing nicer finishes, um, getting, using nicer windows, being just much more creative. And we were kind of in like the hipster areas of LA. So kind of giving it that hipster vibe, I guess, whatever you think that might be. Um, is it like Silver Lake? I know Silver Lake Silver, is- Yeah, Silver Lake, Echo Park, Highland mm-hmm. Park, kind of Northeast LA. The name of the company was Nila Homes for Northeast LA. So, because we only sold homes in, in that area. Um, and, uh, and then from there, we, we got into some developments. Some, we had a small portfolio of, of properties, like one to four unit properties. So, it was about 30 units, which I managed and did all the leasing. So, I, I, I've been on the ground level doing all that kind of stuff and don't really want to do that again. That's why we like having third parties and uh, having that. In, in place, of course. And so in November of last year, well, let me go back. So in 2010, 11, I bought three duplexes that I held for 10 years and I basically sold them in the last year, 1031 in into properties out of state. The first one being in November in Kansas city where I sold the duplex, probably got like a 400% return on, on the sale of that property. <laughs> And tripled my cash flow by moving it to a turnkey property in Kansas City. So your your experience with your your family flipping homes uh, during that that whirlwind of a time post two thousand eight. What what did you learn through that process of of best practices or what to do, what not to do uh, when you were flipping homes in that in that era? Um, I think I learned two things. Number one, how important due diligence was because, um, I had to do due diligence in a matter of an hour, do all my title work, look at the property, look at maybe past MLS listings, do basically like what people do in weeks, do it in an hour. So I had to get really good at like seeing everything I needed to see quickly. Um, so the importance of that and kind of streamlining that as much as possible and having systems and lists. So a bunch of lists to make sure nothing was missed because it'd be easy and the scramble things and miss something. But if you have a checklist there that you're checking off and you made sure everything was actually done and you don't move on or you don't go bid until you've had those things done. Like if we didn't have everything on that checklist done, then we just didn't bid on the property. We're like, we don't have all the information we need in front of us and it's just not worth the risk at that point. Um, so I think that was number one. And number two is just how to deal with people because, you know, I was 
after the auctions, I would go and knock on these people's door and tell them, you know, we just, you just lost your house. We bought it and we need to figure out, negotiate something for you to move out. So how to deal with people, um, and how to deal with all types of different kinds of people and everyone's different and how to kind of mold yourself and work with these people and, and mitigate and make a bad situation as good as it could be. So how did you, how did you deal with some of these folks? I'm sure you, like you just said, you, you come across probably some very belligerent folks, uh, you know, oh, yeah. they're in denial <laughs> or some people that understand. I mean, how, how were you able to, did, did you, uh, did you, um, uh, paid, did you help these people get relocated, yeah. um, outsource these out to a third party? How did you kind of, no, I did it all those waters. Yeah. I did it all myself. Um, just being understanding and being a person and knowing that's a, an emotional time for them and kind of almost being there for them a little bit. And also, yeah, we were helping them financially as well. And we're trying to accommodate and give them time. Like we'd pay them five to $10,000 to move and try to give them 30 to 60 days and, and work with them. And sometimes more, a lot of times also it was tenants that were living at the properties that they didn't even know was in foreclosure or they would have known because they would have got some kind of notices on the door, but they, you know, they're kind of a victim of the owner that just let it go. That was probably collecting rent still while they weren't even paying their mortgage. So being understanding of that and even helping them find a place, you know, like giving them a list of rentals and giving them a good recommendation and that kind of stuff. So kind of thinking outside of the box and doing whatever we could to help them because ultimately it would also help us in the long run. So your strategy, your, your, you, your and your family strategy from a decade ago is completely different from your strategy now, as you've gone off on your own, um, yeah. you've, you've dubbed yourself a, a hold everything forever investor. Um, and, but as a flipper, you don't hold anything. I had Greg Dickerson on my show, um, one of the early episodes, maybe episode six or seven. Um, he also uh, happens to be my business coach and his his saying was never hold anything. He's a real estate developer. So he's in and out very quickly in, in the deals that he's involved with. But your strategy now, um, not only are you investing out of state, something that you never did uh, with your family, but you are also uh, building a portfolio. And, you know, the goal is to, to hold uh, your investments for the long term. How do how do you change your your strategy uh, so you know essentially a, a 180 from what you were comfortable with uh, you know a decade ago? Yeah, um, and that goes back to my duplexes because you know I bought my first duplex that I lived in, rented out a room to a friend, and I was basically living for free in one of the best areas in LA for what would cost me $3,000 a month to rent, you know? And so that was kind of my aha moment. And the flips are great, like, especially in LA. I mean, we, you make 100K a pop, sometimes more per, per flip. I mean, we've, we've made 300,000 on a flip before. I mean, I wasn't making all that money because it was part of the company and mm -hmm. we have investors. And so the pie was getting split in different ways. Um, so, so it's great, but... It, it's a one-time pop and then it goes away. 
with and it's what also we're doing. a job. You know, you're you're working you're working really hard. You and your team are working oh, yeah. really hard to acquire the right assets, do the yeah. due diligence, do the renovations. You know, exit yeah. exit. You know, tenants. Uh, it, it's it's not a, it's not a passive job. Like it's, if you're in passively investing in, in commercial real estate, this is a very physical, like day job. Um, yeah, I'm sure I mean, that's one of the biggest differences, right? Yeah. And we were doing like high design, um, really gut jobs. So they were really, we had a designer, we had a project manager. And so like you had to go to the sites at least a couple times a week, if not more. And every time there was an issue, you had to deal with it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a ton of work. It's a ton of work. And so, but I mean, you get paid for it. You, you do get paid for it, but you have to pay high taxes, ordinary gains on that because usually the flips are less than a year long. Um, and with what we're doing now, you know, you don't get that big hit uh, at once. You kind of spread it over a long period of time, but they quickly add up. The more assets you have before you know it, you're making 40, 50 K a month. To, to your pocket and you're living a pretty good life. So let's go to the Kansas City and Oklahoma City markets where you've transacted recently. How yep. are you attracted to those two markets um, or, and, and other markets uh, outside of your, your home market? How have you been, why have you been attracted to those uh, particular markets? Yeah, Kansas City, um, uh, honestly, my, my wife actually has family there and we're in Kansas City, I think it was now three years ago. You know, just bored looking at apartments in the area and just kind of looking, doing some back of the napkin calculations. I'm like, hmm, this could work. And so, and then I also looked at like population growth, uh, jobs, like just being there and walking around and seeing the breweries and coffee shops and everything that's happening there. I felt, I felt good about it. They had kind of like the Silver Lake, the, the property I have is kind of in the Silver Lake of, of Kansas City. Um, and follow all those, follow all those, uh, those coffee shops and yoga studios, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what you do is just go there, feel it out. Like almost would I hang out here? Would I live here? That kind of stuff where you're like, at least within the fringe areas of some of those areas, because sometimes those areas are already too gentrified and they'll be too expensive. But if you're around those areas, they could be good as well. And then, uh, Oklahoma city, just couldn't find anything in that larger 50 plus range. So I went to Oklahoma city, contacted the property manager broker that brought the deal and made it happen. And same thing. We went there like this buildings right next to Panera bread, Starbucks, target, like everything that you would want to have that you could walk to and just really impressed with like the downtown area of Oklahoma city has like those cool, fancy food courts, new parks, the NBA arena, breweries, like I was, I was pretty surprised coming from LA, going to Oklahoma. I was like, well, I don't know what to expect here. Right. And I, and I walked there and I was like, man, everything they have here, I have, they have in LA, maybe just less of it. For a fraction of the price. Right. Yeah. And, and it's actually much cleaner. LA is kind of grimy and dirty. Right. Yeah. So uh, what else are you looking at in those markets? Uh, what, what, what is your criteria and, and how are you focusing on um, your future acquisitions? Yeah. So we're in that like 70 plus range, three to 8 million value add, but we're, we're start, I think we're going to create a niche for ourselves where we're just buying stuff that we're not doing a lot of construction on, but we're, we're improving the operations, lowering payroll, lowering 
marketing, lowering, like on this new deal we're looking at, their water and electric bill is astronomical. So, you know, changing out the toilets, the faucets, all that kind of stuff. And, and the electrical is astronomical because right now they're paying for the electrical. So because they have, and they have wall units in the windows. So we're going to place all the wall units, do central AC, and then be like, and tell the tenants, Hey, because we have, we're giving you central AC. Now you need to assume the cost of the electric bill because it is separately metered, but for whatever reason they did it like all inclusive utility um, payment. Um, And so, so stuff like that. I really like that. It's less risky during this time of COVID. Um, But we're, we're also not scared of doing some heavy lifting if it makes sense. Well, putting in central HVAC is, is not a light lift. Uh, That's, that's a pretty big lift. Um, And yeah, I mean, for them be. to not for them to not implement the you know the rubs program, uh, the utility program. I I mean, that's such a huge value add, huh? Yeah. So it's and they're easy. I mean, there, there's going to be some adoption, and it'll take two three years as renewals and whatever come up, and you have new leases. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be, and it's not a it's not a big charge on the on the you know, the pro rata share, I don't know, what is it? 20, 30, 40 bucks a month for, yeah, it's for like utilities. 35 to $50. Yeah. It's, it's depending on the size big, of the unit, especially when you're pitching to, to your, your tenant pool. Listen, we're making these changes. It's going to come a little bit out of your pocket, but your, your comfort and your enjoyment of, of this, of this community is, is, is going to be increased uh, because of the changes that we're making. Is that yeah. kind of how you spun it with your, your current yep. tenant pool? That well, this is for the new um, asset we're looking at, so that's ah. how we would. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, central AC is way better than a, a system in your window, so Absolutely. they're going to be a lot more comfortable. Yep. Um, so you're looking at seventy plus. Um, what what challenges are you coming uh, across right now in the the era of COVID as we are progressing through this? And really, there's you know, for all intents and purposes, there's really not a um, an end in sight right now. Um, how are you underwriting properties now than you were maybe a year ago, uh, eight, nine months ago before, before March 15th came around? Yeah. Um, we're, uh, putting vacancies higher, especially for the first year and no rent growth for a year or two, depending on the deal. Um, and also putting higher expenses, like even higher expenses for water because people are home more and they're using their toilets and showers and sinks and all that more when they would have been at work um, using the toilets and sinks and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Great. All good information. Listen, Jonathan, we're going to conclude this episode with the hard hitting questions. These are the questions that we ask every one of our customers. Uh, I normally start off by asking you, what is your why? Um, my why is just to live a happy life with my family and the way in which I see that is through this business by creating um, a certain level of cash flow where I want to be, where I feel like I can live the life I want to live. And, and also knowing when is enough, because I think a lot of people always want, they get to a certain point and they're like, Oh, now I want this. Now I want that. But like being like, no, this is, this is good. I mean, there'll be some natural growth just from that place where you're at but not having the need to like buy, buy Ferrari or something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For example. 
Uh, you also have a two-year-old. Uh, besides your alarm clock and your two-year-old, what gets you out of bed every morning? What motivates you? Um, I'm just excited to... Well, coffee helps, but, uh, but I'm just excited to open up my email and like see what came in overnight and, and, uh, and dig into that. And that, that's another thing that's important is like at night, like being able to turn off at a certain point and just not look at anything until, you know, 8am the next day, you know, things can wait. They need, you know, right. Uh, what is uh, a recent book uh, or other piece of media that you've read or listened to or watched that has provided significant value or uh, to your life or your career? Um, I haven't finished the book yet, but I'm listening to the audiobook, The Psychology of Money. And it kind of digs into the stuff I was kind of alluding to right now. And, and it also talks about like Warren Buffett and those kinds of people and saying how they they, a lot of people, a lot of these people haven't had extraordinary returns, but they've done it over a long period of time. So they've had pretty good returns for a really long period of time. And that's just what we're trying to do. So I really resonated with that. And, uh, the psychology of money, who, who, uh, who authors that? Um, it's what's his name? If you don't know, I can look it up. Yeah. You can look it up. I, yeah. I don't remember the guy's name. Um, how do you like to pay it forward? Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So you could look me up at, at JB2 investments. And I, I have a lot of like college kids reach out to me and I jump on zoom calls and just kind of give them some guidance and tell them how I started and tell them my story and hear their story and see how I could help. And so I, I like, I like helping people. I like putting information out there and that, that's how I pay it forward. It, with everything that you know now, uh, through your work experience, through the, the better part of the last 10 years, uh, what's, what's the best piece of advice you would give your 21, 22-year-old college graduate self right out of college? Uh, invest in income-producing property as soon as possible. <laughs> I like it. And go bigger, too. Like I, Instead of doing a duplex, I could have done a fourplex and just started a little bigger. It's still within that conventional one to four units, but you get a little bit more scale. Uh, Jonathan, how can our listeners get a hold of you or little, little, uh, learn a little bit more about you? Um, you can go to my website, JB, the number two investments with the S.com or email me JB at JB two investments or on Twitter at JB two investments. I'm pretty active on there. Awesome. Jonathan Barr, thank you so much for your time and adding your value today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a rating and a review, which will help us introduce the podcast to other listeners. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will give you access to other episodes you may have missed. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more about investing alongside us, then head on over to valueaddedpodcast.com. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week.